It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Pilot Flying J Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley. As we move into a Thursday, Gary, how's it going? Not not bad at all. Uh, day 21 for yeah. us in, yeah. in social uh, isolation. Not saying I'm getting bored, but I had a great conversation with the spider today in yeah. the, my house. Seems like a yeah. real nice uh, guy. Web designer. Yeah, web designer. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Very good. All right, I stole that from a meme. <laughs> that meme was going around today. Yeah, I saw a good one today, and I was going to steal that one. I, I'll, I'll remember it later. Um, but, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I saw one. Actually, it was the other day. Um, and, uh, this would, uh, that's what I apply to my grandkids. Um, Hey, if you see my, my grandkids out in the yard and they appear to be locked out of the house, we're just doing a homeschool fire drill. <laughs> <laughs> Lock them outside I, for a while. I, I, I like the meme that talks about the guy saying, I need to know when the social distancing is over. My wife and I need to know this cause I need to let her back in. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For some guys, that could be a big problem. Uh, so, how is everybody handling it? For us, this is uh, day twenty-one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is yeah, day twenty-one because um, we started three, three weeks ago. Yeah, um, I have run out of coconuts. I've been able to salvage <laughs> enough palm trees to well. make a rain shelter. I feel, I feel like. Uh, Castaway here on uh, was that that was the movie right? Tom Hanks. Castaway? Yes, yeah. Castaway. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Why did that sound wrong? I don't know why. Um, well, I was Wilson and I were hanging out today, and uh, yeah, we had, we had a great well, conversation. Um, but you know, it's um, I don't know. Uh, that's funny because you know his wife's name is Rita Wilson, and they were quarantined together. Do you think he was screaming uh. Wilson <laughs> when they were quarantined together? <laughs> I'm just asking the question. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. Uh, they that's they they've talked about that over the years. That that they I don't know if there was a parallel there, but but someone made the parallel at one point. I am, um, you know, uh, I was talking to my imaginary friend today. His name is Pete, uh, and I was tell, I was telling Pete, you know, this is getting crazy uh, because some people just might start talking to themselves, and he goes, "Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know." Um, it, it's uh, alcohol use is up. You don't say. Texas is not. I, I, I have no idea how they. I just saw the headline today and I sent it to a bunch of people. I didn't even read the article because there's yeah. no way they, 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 it was one of those surveys that they did and the, you know, how they come up with the variables are just dumb. Yeah. Right. Uh, but they, you know, Texas was number one in drinking. So I sent it to a, f- a few friends who said, you know, I've been drinking a little bit more than normal. I've been sitting at home for two weeks in a row. <laughs> well, you know, for you and I had this conversation. Right now, I can't because, or I, I absolutely don't have the desire to have even a beer because of the fact that um, it. I I feel like I'm in the mode where I'm going to have to get up and and I don't I don't know what I, I uh, run for shelter, but I'm mm-hmm. already in shelter. Uh, you just you're kind of in that almost flight mode. Um, yeah, but and we're that's just the way these, my mind these are all works. people that aren't these are all people that aren't working. Well, they've been, I know, off, they've but, been off work for a couple of weeks. Sure, so. but but even on the right. weekend, I, I'm not I'm not feeling that desire. It probably is because um, number one, it's not there uh, to begin with. Normally, uh, we work a weird schedule, mm-hmm. and it doesn't present opportunity normally. No. I actually talked to a doctor no. friend of mine today, 
And his advice, he had some great advice. He said, look, and you and I talked about this. We actually mentioned it on the air. And you talk about the body's ability to fight, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, uh, there are people with underlying conditions. And I know you said, look, food is either medicine or poison. I've heard this uh, for years when you you talk to, I have a friend who is an expert in nutrition. Uh, I've known her since she was a child and she's a very smart individual and she works for a group of hospitals and uh, does a great job. But she's very pragmatic in her approach. And she has said this over the years. I haven't heard her mention anything on covid but she has said this and it applies here that when you when you ingest something you know whatever you're ingesting is either going to be medicine or or poison um and i was talking to this doctor friend of mine and he said you know i said are you seeing an increase in patients who you know lately are you know saying that they're partaking in alcohol uh, at a greater level and he said yeah he said some have been there for a while he said but you know, I, I'm, this really gives me an opportunity to tell my patients, look, you need to, you know, you need to remember you, you need to be as healthy as possible just to make sure your immune system is, is there in case, you know, something happens and you're exposed. Well, I don't want to upset the vaping guy. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> on, a, on an unrelated topic, I did see a story the other day saying, you know, if you want to have a cocktail, that's fine, but right. don't yeah. get, don't get drunk a lot because it does help suppress your immune system well it does it yeah and if you are trying not to catch the uh the, the coronavirus but yeah with us with this shift one thing it really you know one thing i just can't do i can't can't drink much because it throws off your sleep pattern completely well i mean that's it's, the problem it's, it's different on on the weekend again we get the i get this window of opportunity if i want to but um, the, the thing is, you know, it's there. Well, it's, it's like, okay, it's, you know, if you're going to the window of the drinking window of opportunity, oh, right. well, here we go. Countdown and, is on. Well, the temptation is not going to get to me this weekend. That's right. No. Well, I'm, I'm more of the person that, that, uh, if I'm going to have a cocktail, I'm, uh, I'm usually in a celebratory mood. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a big celebration. It's, it could be that, Hey, it's Saturday <laughs> or, or Hey, it's, it's, uh, I'm sitting in church. Um, but anyway, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I don't, I don't do that. I, at least I don't show that I'm doing that in church. Um, the, 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 the one point that he was making, cause I said, you know, but alcohol is a depressant. He goes, yeah, but people will use it as a sedative. He was being again, you know, coming from their perspective where the mindset is you know uh with most people it's like okay i want to relax i want to take the edge off he said there's nothing wrong with that you know and in of course moderation but when you talk about increasing it on a regular basis and making it a greater habit even if it's not alcoholism or alcohol dependence uh, but you increase that habit you're 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 tearing down your body's immune system and you know it's just that you know, for him, it's all about keeping mm-hmm. people healthy. I mean, that's that's his job. Yeah, that's so. uh, that's the you know the key. But it is it, it's the the one thing that I notice the most is even though we're working every day, and so our pattern hasn't changed, you know, as much. Mm-hmm. And I looked at how many miles I did in March on both vehicles, mm-hmm. and I did about you know average because I'm going to work every day, right? And so. I just realized the only driving I've really cut out, I don't do a lot of driving Yeah. outside of going to and from work. I realized, okay, uh, three weeks of March, I really didn't, you know, do anything except go to work and maybe go to the supermarket once a week. 
and I still had a significant, you know, I, number of miles on it really didn't differentiate much. And I realized, well, I guess I really don't do much. I don't really go to the supermarket that, <laughs> that often. And the golf courses are all really close to my house. But uh, a lot, you know, and so our schedule is sort of the same. And I may not be doing as much or having contact with people as much because of the show. But I think we're, in a way, a lot of people say, wow, you got to work. You still got to work every day. Yeah, but I feel sort of blessed to be able to work. Yeah. Because I'd be going crazy right now if I didn't have this to do. Uh well, I mean, I wouldn't be going crazy, It'd be, but I'd be climbing the walls trying yeah. to find something well, to do. The, the house would be absolutely spotless. I, I was, uh, okay, so I, I have a, a tooth that's going bad. And right now in our county, you can't get elective. You can only get emergency dental, right? You mm-hmm. can't go in and get, you know. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. This is a Tom Hanks movie. Well, it's right, exactly. I am, I am in Castaway. I'm going to have to pull it myself. Um, but anyway, it's not, um, right now it's not, uh, it's, it's not bad, but it is, it has been painful on and off over the last couple of weeks. So I, I went to see my dentist and again, he's only doing emergency. In other words, if there's pain involved, he can relieve the pain or the infection or whatever's going on. Uh, and we've known each other for 20 years. So we, we have long conversations when we're there and today, an especially long conversation because he had no other appointments. And he said, you know, what we're doing is we're trying to stack them. Um, like on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and just stay home on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, the you know because the hygienist was sent home because that's elective. Really, it's not. I would argue that's preventive. I'm just trying to make the argument for you know. I, I guess on the on the scale of what these county judges or governors say is is necessary or not, because you know when you start to get older, the cleaning and depends on how long we go. I can go another thirty days without cleaning. But you start looking, you discover things during a cleaning. Here, here, there's decay here, and tooth decay can learn to Come on, lead you, to a number of look, things, look, including tear, heart problems. You can tear, if we wanted to sit there and nitpick, we could tear all these rules and regulations to shreds. Well, especially with you, something like this, because right. I had a friend who had a heart problem, and it was caused by a tooth. A bad right, tooth, right? Yeah. So you, if you're well, you you can't get teeth cleaning. Yeah. But I can go to the liquor store, exactly, or go to the driving range and hit golf balls. Yeah, the kids can't go to school, but Come I can on. go get drunk as I want to. <laughs> By the way, I think the two go hand in hand. If my grandkids are going to be around all the time, <laughs> I, should, I, should I should be, be really, drink. really <laughs> drunk. I mean, I'm not, but I should be. Well, seriously, I wonder whether when they made these rules, they said, "What about liquor stores?" and and they sat back and said, no, we need to have a public that is sedated. <laughs> you know, I, I think about that. And I, th- I think, okay, but no. Because if it turns out to be The Walking Dead, right? Especially, and if those who follow the show know the episode of going to the CDC. And there was something in that show that was learned. It was assumed for the longest time. But then a couple of seasons later, you knew. And it was that the, the and I'm going to spoil it here for you in case you haven't seen it, but. I don't really care. Um, the The guy at the CDC, one of the leading scientists, right before he set off the big boom to blow up the CDC center, basically, you know, because all, all, there mm-hmm. were virus samples in that in that in that facility, he he leaned over and whispered something in the in the uh, in in the lead actor's ear, and you didn't know what it was. But years later, we learned it's airborne. You don't have to be bit by the zombie, right? Oh. Okay, so there are so many parallels here. 
and I, I don't want to become too silly because COVID is very serious, but the fact of, okay, do you have to touch someone or is it airborne? Well, of course it's airborne, and so are other viruses like the flu and everything else because of the water droplets that remain in the air. The viability of this uh, virus and disease, uh, uh, coronavirus, the and the disease of COVID-19 right now is, is up in the air. I mean, uh, no pun intended. We don't know exactly... Um, how how far away you need to be from anyone else, but I I just I think of people being mobilized, right? If if there was a reason, and I again I don't think this is going to happen, but if there was a reason to be mobilized, we need to be a sober society. And and, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to say that you need to be sober, you need to be ready for all right, an all emergency. Right, all right, Jerry Brown. Yeah, exactly. Well, not not to be productive. But so that you don't trip when I'm on my way to whatever facility we're all going to. You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, you need to be able to contribute. All right. Coming up on the show. Coming up on the show. Coming up on the show. A little bit on the light side. And I'm being nice when I say that relative to what we witnessed and what was reported. The president talking about China yesterday. We're, We're thinking we're certainly looking at it. But once you do that, you really are. You really are uh, clamping down an industry that is desperately needed. The president talking about that question still about stopping domestic flights. Mm. That That is still something that they're talking about. We'll get into the whole thing. Well, wait a minute. Then what about the stimulus bill that says they have to go back to the flights? Uh, the flight schedule of March 1st, which I did find finally yesterday. That is in the bill. Mm. And so airlines are trying to work with the government. Well, what you're basically telling us to do then, we have to go back to March 1st and be flying empty planes and burning uh, uh, fuel and increasing the cost and running through the money that you're giving us sooner. Why? So you can take us over if right. Democrats take it in November. Well, they didn't say that, but no. I'm saying that. Right. Also, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, was uh, was uh, yesterday talking about social distancing. When it goes down to essentially no new cases, no deaths at a period of time, I think it makes sense that you're going to have to relax social dis- uh, distancing. The one thing we hopefully would have in place, and I believe we will have in place, is a much more robust system to be able to identify someone who's infected. So that and more all coming up on the show, plus your calls and comments. Great show ahead, 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara along with Eric Carley. And I think really being able to tell them the peace of mind that would come from knowing you already were infected, you have antibody, you're safe from reinfection 99.9% of the time. And so this, I think, would be very reassuring to our frontline healthcare workers. Now, one of the problems with the antibody test is the FDA has to approve it to make sure it's accurate, because if it's not accurate, then it doesn't mean anything. There can right. be false positives for it, and so they need to absolutely make sure that it is there. But if you do that and you put that out by the millions, then you have an idea. You can look back and say, all right, you can actually look back and trace where it was in the United States. Well, right. I had the flu back in, in early January, and, and uh, but I didn't test you know for the flu. You did the antibody test on that person. You say, okay, you had coronavirus back then. Right. You can figure out how big 
you know, how how widespread the immunity is in the United States, which is absolutely critical for the yeah. future. Yeah, it is. Um, this is gonna, this is it. And, and we don't want to miss a step along the way, as you mentioned, confirming uh, that we know that, you know, this is this is thorough, because if you do full deployment, can you imagine doing uh, re- using all those resources for full deployment? And all of a sudden you had one misstep, one misstep yes. in the process. And it takes us back to, well, because at that point, you would start seeing, again, if you're not seeing the results of it, a positive results of it, you're going to see cases growing. And then you've got to trace back to see if they're, you know, be mindful enough to trace back to see if there was a misstep in the process. I can't imagine how bad it is right now. I talked to my doctor friend again yesterday, and they're not doing testing at his clinic. Um, so they send them if someone comes in or they call and say, I've got symptoms, they send them to another clinic associated with their group. Um, but they've got it. He said, we've got a systematic process here. Um, I know people are, are looking for the answers. They're, you're looking for results from New York or you're looking for uh, answers or you're looking for a vaccine next week from the CDC uh, to be announced or the FDA to be announced and it is going to take that time. I think that's why a lot of people were saying, especially those on that stage every night uh, with the president, that task force, they're looking at it and they can't tell you when it's going to be. But a lot of doctors outside of that task force will tell you, well, it probably is going to be next year for a vaccine. Maybe, you know, it, it might take much longer because of the so many unknown properties of this this virus and how it behaves. And, you know, those are the things uh, my my doctor friend believes this is going to go on. You know, he doesn't know about the extreme level of of the severe cases, but certainly that this is probably going to go on three or four months. And are we going to be in isolation three or four months is what the average layman is asking. We're all at home going, all right, what's next? Um, They the Texas governor announcing a couple of days ago. No schools, no public schools will open before May 4th. They're not going to, I suspect they won't reopen for the school year. Here's your forecast. A low pressure area out of Canada will provide some April snow showers for areas east of the Rockies. Montana, Wyoming, and as far south as Denver, Colorado will pick up some snowfall from the system. Thursday night into Friday for the Mile High City, a low of 16. And for the next 24 hours or so, you could expect the potential for icing along portions of I-94 in North Dakota and I-90 from Sioux Falls over to Pierre, South Dakota. Out ahead of that system to the east, rain develops along areas of I-35 in Iowa and Wisconsin. And by Friday, the slow-moving system could produce some showers in the southern plains. Wednesday, rain showers in the mid-Atlantic have cleared out but are still lingering in the northeast and will remain throughout the day there until Friday. High pressure means plenty of sunshine for the Midwest and deep south today. There's a look at your national forecast from Red Eye Radio. I'm meteorologist John Trout.
What world are we living in? Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. I don't know. On Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. 866-90-RED-EYE. I just want to make note here as I look at the, the latest numbers from the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine Coronavirus Research uh, Center map uh, out there. Uh, the United States, 216,721 total confirmed, uh, 5,138 deaths, 8,600 uh, have totally recovered. Understand, though, there's massive testing right now going on in the United States yep. that, as far as I can tell, dwarfs any other country by far, and especially over the last couple of days. Yesterday when we were here, mm-hmm. it was roughly uh, when we got on the air. Right about this time, I believe it was 187,000. Right, yeah. Which means right. you're close to 30,000. People say, well, that's 30,000 new cases that have been discovered. Well, if what uh, Dr. Burke said on Sunday from the figures that she gave out, that 86% of the testing that's being done, 86% of the people that are tested, and they're testing people that they believe have the symptoms. Right, right, right that 86% come up negative, that means we're testing now over 200,000 people a day. Yeah, right. And remember, last it was uh, by the time we got to last Friday, they were saying we'd probably be up to 17,000, 18,000 a day. So yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, the, the testing in the, and I think it's important to understand that the testing, that's why when people come up with the figures of, of the, you know, of, of, well, look at the United States. Because we lead in the numbers, that means that the worst job is being done by the United States. And I, who said that? What Democrat said that last week? Mm. It's nowhere in the world worse here, the, 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 their response. And it's I like, saw that on social media. Somebody probably just mimicking what was said last week. But it is, this is where we are. Um, you And it is, of course, going to be laid at Trump's feet. What I think they should be doing, I think they should be proactive right now. And I don't know. They are keeping that data because it was, um, you know, when you when you look at what they said over the weekend, that it was what? At that point, it was like um, 86 percent were were negative. Were negative. Yes. Those being of those being tested. So I think they need a positive negative ratio on testing to be a part of the stats that the American people see every day. In other words, out of the tests, how many test positive? And that at at that point it would be fourteen percent only fourteen percent right. because that's and understand you, that the fourteen percent isn't the fourteen percent of the population exactly but fourteen percent of people who exactly. we believe have the symptoms yes and and, and, and and we're tested right and and therefore we you know it's way over the fact that the the majority of 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 people as far as we. Uh, well, you can't you can't say that because we don't know. Only the antibody test can tell you that. But we but we know that either the masses out there, as Doctor Burke said, have been immunized because they've had it and had really no symptoms that except right. that were minor symptoms, so they don't believe it was coronavirus, right. or that the rate of of being contagious is not as great as they believe it's going to be, and they're not sure which one it is there. But it's important to understand that the reason. The con- the totally confirmed cases keep going up drastically is because the testing has been ramped up. And so if you had 30,000, 29, 30,000, that means roughly if if that's three or four days old that it's taken for that, that means three or four days ago, 
we had taken two hundred. We were taking two hundred fifty thousand tests a day. Well, that's a huge increase. Yeah, right. And I don't believe any other country is doing that. Oh, by the way, China's lying. <laughs> two, by the way, two things that we were right on. Yes, two two things. First off, we said this last week. We when we were talking about China, and I looked at you and I said, one thing we never talk about is look. Did did you ever uh, uh, did you ever watch Zero Dark Thirty? All of the CIA operatives mm-hmm. that were actually in uh, Pakistan. Yeah, all the assets that were there. All the assets helping that, them that are track uh, right. Osama bin Laden. Yes, we yep. have we have assets in China. Yeah, and and Eric and I were having the discussion, and we said the CIA has probably already briefed the president. Now, <laughs> I know we're going to get the emails. You guys got a mole because last week the president was briefed on that and last week when is when we said the CIA has probably briefed the president we had no information or no mole it was just i think you look at it and you say well the CIA they're no longer obsessed with going after candidate Trump so they have other things to do mm-hmm. so they probably <laughs> I actually do have a mole to be honest but I'm not I'm not contacting right. that mole <laughs> I, I'm not using it for this yeah. purpose I have somebody who probably could give me information but I don't feel I don't I don't feel that's right to call on them because they a uh, most information they couldn't share with me. They could answer basic questions about how things operate, but they wouldn't share with me, of course, you know, uh, specifically well, then it, how then, they operate. Then it wasn't Brennan. Yeah. No, was it definitely an, not my mole? Just say I'm looking for just say I'm looking for anti-Trump material. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, yeah. Can, <laughs> can we get something on Trump? Oh, yeah. Then I'll get a million phone calls. Um, and the other one was you yesterday said, eh, you know, Adam Schiff's going to come along and ask for an investigation. If Trump's reelected, our committees but, are going to look into it. Committee, right. And yesterday that story came out. Yep. And I'm thinking, wow, did, I'm thinking to myself, did Eric have that story in front of him and then said it and didn't tell me he had that story in front of him? Yeah, right. <laughs> because well, I was I mean, like, when I read that today, I went, wow, we called that one last night. Right. I mean, this is because this is their M.O. They're not going to. And and they didn't wait. I mean, I knew it was coming. But they weren't going to wait. Do this. In fact, they likely looked at this knowing Adam Schiff, uh, uh, the the liar that he is, uh, the wholly dishonest person that he is. He probably thought, you know, Rahm Emanuel, you know, to the whole Rahm Emanuel thing. Uh, you, you know, make sure you let no crisis go to waste. And you use that. And so when do you do that? Well, when people have fear in their mind. When do you get emotional support to, uh, you know, how do you gain the emotional support uh, the the political will of the constituency uh, to to go after a president that a great number of them hate already. Uh, well, you do that in the heat of the crisis, right. and and so this is why he brought it up yesterday. Let's head to you. We go to Clark in Virginia. Clark, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Red Eye Radio. How are you doing? I love your show. Thank, Thank you for taking my call. Um, like to make a quick point. I'd like to see the president put together immediately or as soon as possible, a private sector task force to plan our economic recovery, to work in tandem with the efforts going forward to resolve the uh, need for a vaccine and and solve the uh, COVID-19 health problems. Um, Frankly, I'd I'd like to see him thank uh, Dr. Fauci, Fauci and send him off to oversee the development of a possible vaccine 
and implement the malaria drug along with uh, ZPAC as an interim treatment for COVID-19. Yeah, they're already doing that. that that's already, All that, of these things yeah, are already yeah, underway. That, that's, yep. already, that's already Thank being you. done. As to the, uh, the have a government task force of how to get the private sector back going, you don't need that. Right. You don't need that. The private sector knows how to get the what, what the private sector would say is get us our demand back, open the markets, yeah, oh, you know, op, open the markets, lower our taxes, right, exactly. And I, I and, mean, and the problem is the Democrats don't wish to uh, do that. Look, we we had said this. Remember the first plan that passed put a extra burden on small business, saying, "Look, you've got to give paid family leave." Well, I can't afford to do that. This I'm, my business is cloning. You know, closing down. I've got half the business, and this goes back three weeks ago. And they're like, "We don't care. Uh, you got to get paid family leave. You can take the tax credit months from now." Yep. Well, you're hurting me. You're. This is supposed to be a disaster bill, a relief bill to help me, and you're hurting me. Yeah. And then with the right. airlines now, when you look at that, the airlines going, "Uh oh, wait a minute." So what the government is saying now is, "Okay, we'll give you relief. We'll give you loans. We'll give you some grants because you've been forced to close down." Right. Yep. Because you've been forced to close down. And uh, we're going to give you the option of uh, the government mm, could take equity in your business, which means, yeah, we need the government and the airlines, don't we? Uh, and, by the way, you've got to go back to your March 1st schedules. Well, you can't. I mean, that's the most asinine thing ever. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is the airlines should burn through uh-huh. the taxpayer government money faster when they don't have to do it. Right. In order to do what? Well, it's all been, an, it really has been an emotional response to some extent. Again, when we talk about relief efforts, uh, this is a, a national emergency. Um, and so you get the money in the hands of people that actually need it. You brought up the thing when, and I think it was the morning after it was passed in the Senate, or it, was, uh, it wasn't after the, the president's, maybe it was after the president signed it when we came back uh, from that weekend. But you said... Why are people, I think it was after the Senate passed it, and it was look, it looked like the House was going to pass it. He said, why are people that are still employed, fully employed, um, and haven't had to deal directly with the coronavirus in their family, so they don't have any uh, pending uh, medical bills or anything like that. They're not facing anything related to the coronavirus other than maybe being uh, at home and working from home. Why are they getting a huge check for $3,400 if they're a family of four? Why? What does it have to do with disaster? Exactly. because And, and, the, okay, and, the, and, and the, the demand isn't, well, the markets aren't there. The demand isn't there to go out and buy products right now. I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Hurricane uh, Katrina, should people in Washington State, should they have gotten uh, FEMA money? Yeah. Or help? I mean, because... The point is, is I know it's different because this is a widespread problem. But are we not going to have, I mean, some degree, just some degree of responsibility here to say, at the very least, if we're going to go spend trillions and trillions of dollars. Oops, too late. If we're going to continue to spend trillions and trillions of dollars. (laughs) And think about this, you know, caller put it in in place yesterday and you kind of tempered it and said, well, some of these are loans and it's expected they would be paid back. But if you include the fact that there's a great risk that a lot of those loans wouldn't be paid back, you could say that we're going to look at our national debt. We'll get it into the mid twenties, right? 
mean, that's it's already it's already there. What is it? 23? Uh, no. Twenty three. But I mean, I'm I'm talking 25, 26. 25, Easy. 26. I mean, yeah. That's that's being that's assuming well, that the loans get paid. And I'm because they're already talking about number four. And and now you're the point is is that shouldn't we save those reserves to say here's what we're going to allot? Except you must be a family that is. Uh, one or two of the spouses has been unemployed or limited because their children are at home. They can't be employed. It's whether they've been laid off or load, but something at least directly or indirectly related to the Corona virus, not just fear that they, something that might happen. If, if something does happen, you can apply and then the money would come to you. But the point would be is that, if my doctor friend is right, this goes on three or four months, and then all of a sudden we see the clinical trials, the combo drugs aren't working as well for some, and it's really not a great ratio, we should prepare for the worst. I'm I'm hopeful that it won't be that bad. But if we're here in November, um, November 3rd, if we're here in November and we still don't have a hold on this and parents still can't send their kids to school and they can't go to work, how much money are we going to just throw at this until we just st- say stop? Not everybody gets money. Not everybody uh, who is fully employed and might be within that range of salary gets money from the federal government until they need it. Eight six, excuse me, eight six six ninety red eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, eight six six ninety Red Eye. I noticed on social media yesterday, and and again, I don't I don't see everybody and what they've done, but I was just trying to to get a lay of the land, and uh, there was a lot of uh, conservative uh, political folks out there pounding on Nancy Pelosi and what she wants to do, you know, with this forced stimulus bill and Mitch McConnell yeah. coming out and saying Pelosi's not going to get it. We're not going to do the for Nobody was talking about conservatives were just very quiet about the president and his two trillion dollar idea. I didn't yeah. see. In fact, I didn't see one single conservative even mention it or say it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's almost as if they just ignored it, saying well, we're just not going to we're not going to confront the president on it, but yeah. we really don't want it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm guessing uh, if you look at it, probably Mark Meadows staff and uh, working on number four like they did. They worked on the last one. Uh, and the Treasury secretary, by the time they get to McConnell, the Senate majority leader, they're all going to look at this. And McConnell's going to say, you know, go back to the president and tell him we're not going to do infrastructure right now. And that's not going to happen if there's something that is necessary um, that is directly or in relate uh, or indirectly related to COVID, which uh, infrastructure wise, I don't know what that would be. I don't know how you could draw that 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 yeah. correlation. Well, the president that would be one thing. President didn't, didn't even promote it no, as something no, for coronavirus. It was since interest rates are really low, let's right. rebuild all the bro- roads and bridges right now. Yeah, and I just went. That's not going to play well with conservatives and. It was just amazing. Nobody, I don't think anybody wants to directly criticize the president right now, right. but it was just all quiet. Well, because that's where, you know, you don't have to come out and say much of anything uh, if you're McConnell right now. All you have to keep repeating is we're going to do, you know, what we believe is necessary to help the American people. 
and then the 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 back and forth can be between McConnell, the Treasury Secretary, Mark Meadows' staff, mm-hmm. and the president. This hour's news is brought to you by Travel Centers of America, home of World Lens Coffee, the freshest roast on the road. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Pilot Flying J Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We'd love to hear from you. RedEyeRadioShow.com, by the way, where we stream live or get our app. Put it on your phone and listen whenever you wish to listen. This hour brought to you by Freightliner. Run smart. Helping you run more efficiently is Freightliner's number one goal. Uh, Just uh, let you know about this because apparently a little bit of change here. The Social Security recipients will not need to file tax returns to receive the $1,200 One-time payments authorized in the new economic relief law, the Treasury Department said late Wednesday, Mm. in a reversal of its prior position. The move came after Democrats and Republicans in Congress pressed the administration to find a way to to get payments to seniors who already receive direct deposits or checks from the federal government every month and don't typically file tax returns. Uh, Congress wrote the law in a way that encouraged agencies to share information so that low-income seniors could get payments quickly and seamlessly. But the Internal Revenue Service had said this week retirees would need to file a simple tax return. Uh, Social Security recipients who are not typically required to file a tax return need to take no action and will receive their payment directly to their bank account, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said in a statement. So there you go. Uh, Was it Ted Cruz? Somebody put on Facebook yesterday, I don't know whether they were kidding or not, said that they already got their payment direct deposited yeah i don't know i know I, ted cruz the other day said that people should expect it by the by eighth. the eighth i oh uh, what? S- sorry <laughs> duh it was april 1st right oh yeah april fools yeah there you go. okay so, so i just <laughs> look nobody was in the april fools uh, mood yesterday by the way when somebody would attempt it was like i don't care not this year we're, yeah, we're, we're right. suspending April Fool's for a year. Yeah. Yeah, so, right. Um, so uh, uh, there you go. Just so uh, people uh, uh, know that. I just I want to just oh, get. By the way, I want to add to that. What? Because there is Social Security. There's also uh, the um, supplement security income. According to MarketWatch.com, they are also eligible uh, for the checks, the $1,200, according, again, to MarketWatch.com. That's SSI. It's different than Social Security. It's a disability right, right, benefit that you get. Right. Um, so the uh, – because we, you and I got the questions, I think it was probably right after the Senate passed it, and it was assumed that the House was going to pass it and the President would sign it. Uh, we were getting questions, well, what about people on disability and everything else, again, according to, to MarketWatch. I don't know. I, it doesn't say – because typically, again, if you're getting just those benefits, you're getting just the SSI. 
um, and you don't file, you don't have a part-time job. Some on SSI do work part-time jobs. But if you don't file, again, I'm, I'm guessing it would be just uh, they're going to come up with a way for you to apply, I guess, or, or get that $1,200 check. Just, again, the information that we're getting. Uh, I just want to read this because if you've been listening to the show, we really haven't played much politics with this. And I'll be honest, the president hasn't played a lot of politics except when he gets attacked. He will attack back. Right. Many times. Yeah. Did you see where Gavin Newsom came out? Uh, I believe this was just here in the last 36 hours and said, I'd be lying to say that Trump has not been responsive to coronavirus. Mm. You know, all the blame going on. I want to read just parts of this from uh, National Review and David uh, Herzeni's column. Uh, on the uh, the the whole thing of the blame of, of Trump here. Armchair quarterbacks try to rewrite history on coronavirus. Mm. And he writes here, coronavirus uh, caught lots of people in America by surprise. We shouldn't pretend otherwise for cynical political gain. This morning on MSNBC's uh, Joe Scarborough, he claimed that unlike the Trump administration, everybody saw this coming in early January. Well, if Scarborough knew that a deadly once-in-a-century pandemic was about to descend on the nation in early January, I assume he considers himself part of everyone. Why on God's earth didn't he warn his susceptible viewers that they should begin social distancing? Why didn't his producers book a single guest or expert who would beseech his viewers to start wearing masks, to shutter their non-essential businesses, and to avoid church and sporting events? Why didn't he mention coronavirus at all even in late january nearly a full month after everybody knew scarborough's show was dominated by what donald trump's impeachment trial as far as i can tell the entire month of january morning joe did not reference a coronavirus once to his 2.6 million followers on twitter Mm. imagine the thousands of lives scarborough could have saved if he had only shared his insight that everybody know knew Does everyone include the World Health Organization who claimed in a January 14th tweet that preliminary investigations into Chinese authorities found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the coronavirus? Did everyone include the Chinese government whose propaganda Scarborough shares as reliable data because it was China's downplaying and lying about coronavirus that ensured it spread around the world? The blood is on their hands not in the hands of your least favorite American politicians. In early March, when reporters were fixated on the vacuous debate over the political correctness of affixing China to the virus's name, researchers at the University of Southampton released a study indicating that 95% of the COVID-19 cases would have been prevented around the world if the communist regime had acted three weeks earlier. If China had intervened just one week earlier, there would have been a 66% mitigation, while two weeks would have led to 86% fewer cases. Scarborough, like most of us, was busy talking about the impeachment trial in early January. Hmm. And that's exactly the topic we should have been focusing on. We had no business expecting our elected officials or our media outlets to obsess over every outbreak in China. No doubt, I'm older than many of you, but I can recall warnings about perhaps a dozen potentially dangerous epidemic breakouts around the world, and none of them ever materialized in a legitimately scary way for us. It's human nature to assume similar outcomes, and if China had acted like a first world nation, coronavirus would have been contained. Even if Scarborough had warned us, what would the public have done differently in early January before a single confirmed case in the United States, 
when Trump did something in late January and restricted travel to China, I don't recall a single mainstream pundit applauding him for taking the virus seriously. In fact, the exact opposite happened. And even if we had listened to the scientists, the United States wouldn't have been able to avert the coronavirus. Experts' predictions were all over the place, and very few researchers or scientists came close to calling the spread correctly. But now we're going to act as if politicians were negligent for failing to try to lock down the entire economy in January? In mid-March, you could hardly get people off the beach in Florida. But you think the American public was going to consent to deep-freeze the economy and shut down the NFL in January? To say such things is just armchair quarterbacking of the most similar kind. Cynical kind, excuse me. But major media outlets, incidentally, ran plenty of their own stories in January and February, tempering fears over coronavirus. And that's okay, too. As I've argued elsewhere, it's impossible to be on perpetual war footing, organizing and planning for every known emergency and inevitably uh, and uh, and eventually at all times. Of course, there is great room for improvement. Of course, we should have more flexibility to produce ventilators or other emergency equipment. But it is unrealistic for the public to expect there is any policy proposal or any political leader that can immunize us from the disasters such as this one. And you and I have said this all along, which is why we really haven't, you know, when when we've seen others play politics is when we get involved in it. Yeah, we'll say, excuse me, you just made this accusation for them. Well, you did that. Right. Well, I mean, it's but again, why are we having these insane conversations? Why are we not focused on the facts? We're, we're talking about a pandemic. We're not talking about a a, a man-made crisis here um, because, you well, except for the fact that China screwed up royally and they've been lying ever since. I mean, they helped to, to, to put this whole thing into motion. It could have been a lot uh, better, most experts think, if we had the proper and honest and accurate information from China even just weeks earlier. Than what they told us. Yep. But but having said this, it, it's a pandemic. We're not talking about a financial crisis. It's become a financial crisis. It did not originate as a financial crisis. It did not originate as a matter of policy. And the policy that is being put in place is based on the guidance of people that are working hard to get answers still about the spread of this. And yet we, stay, we, we, we just, I, I guess insist on living in this insane corner where everybody just has to make things up, lie, bring whatever propaganda they want to, NBC and CBS, and form a whole new narrative based on lies only for their hatred of one person. Yeah, and, you know, Gregory had a column in, in Fox News that goes after attacking Trump's coronavirus-related China travel ban as xenophobic. Democrats and media have changed tune and go beyond all the people that said that at that time when it was yeah, going on. Right. And we remember the shows because we covered that all. You see the New York Times story, too, the mm. uh, saying that uh, this uh, small uh, study in China giving great hopes to hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, yeah. So when China says it, yes, it's great hope. When Trump says it, it's a lie, and it could cost lives. Here it is: malaria drug helps virus patients improve in small study. New York Times. A lot of people reference that story on social media yesterday, saying, "Excuse me, 
Uh, so uh, is this study, is the New York Times now promoting the ingestion of fish tank cleaner? Right. Wow. Fish tank parasite cleaner, whatever it is. It shows you how bizarre it has been getting out there. But as Eric and I predicted this, we said this three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we said, yes, the Democrats will play politics with the coronavirus. Yes. They will play it. And we well, said no doubt. they will use anything they possibly can. They will, they will, as they did, they will come out and lie about something that potentially could help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be- if if they believe it will take down the president. Right. They don't care. We've they said don't. this before. We've been very blunt. They don't care if you get coronavirus. No, they don't. The people, especially in the media, they don't care. They're political activists. They're push, pushing a narrative. Otherwise, you wouldn't have NBC, CBS, and MSNBC would not have done those stories. Right. Right. That was implying and stating that the president was trying to, was promoting the fact that people should do, should, should ingest a fish tank parasite cleaner. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't be, uh, you can't, there was no nuance in it because we read you, we played you the stories, we read you the stories, we read you the banners that was right across on MSNBC, and you couldn't have taken it any other way. Well, here's my question. And, is um, is MSNBC, um, you know, let's, let's well, let's go, go straight to uh, Rachel Maddow, who has, I think, the highest ratings there, right? And probably the most popular. Uh, sorry, Joe. Um, and <laughs> sorry, morning, Joe. But the the whole rant that she goes on on a regular basis of how the president is lying and it could cost lives, again, pushing false hope and everything else. Is she going to go after the New York Times for publishing the fact that that yeah. small study in China on chloroquine is is promising? Yeah. Is, is, is that false hope? Is that, is that false hope to people? I mean, I we, mean we, we brought up the, the, the fact that right. that Governor Cuomo is implementing policy based on, you know, this idea. I mean, he's the the only one so far that is implemented directly as as someone holding a state executive office. Think about that. He's he is the one who has all the power there in ordering that and allowing that clinical trial to go on in New York, which, by the way, we agree with. And, and and no one is on the left is criticizing him for that. And as we had said uh, four weeks ago, three, four weeks, I think it was probably four weeks ago, we said, of course, the Democrats will play. They don't care about the coronavirus. What they care is going after this president. And we know that because of the second article of impeachment. Right. Which was, we believe we should overturn a legit presidential election based on the fact that the president said, you want something from me? Go to the courts. Let the courts decide. Well, that they believe they have the... the they believe that that in itself, because the president, he didn't say, I won't turn it over what you want. He said, you go to court, go to court. Right. And they said, we're not going to go to court. We're not going to even do a subpoena. You give us what we want or we'll kick you out of the office of president of the United States and every Democrat senator that is supposed to be the thoughtful branch of the legislature. Every single Democrat senator voted for it. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about the coronavirus. All they care about is their political narrative. And we know that based on the evidence that they were willing to overturn a presidential election based on the fact that the president said, I want to go to court to protect my constitutional rights. Tell us where we're wrong. Anybody, any Democrat. We've been saying this for over, what, two months now? Oh, easy. Yeah. Tell us where we're wrong. You can't. You know we're right.
And the amazing thing is the number of people, when we've said this, the first couple of times we said it, the number of Democrats had called and said, yeah, you guys got a point. Well, I mean, because how do you, how do you, how would you argue against that? The only thing he wanted was due process. Yeah. All he wanted was due process. Remove him for wanting due process. And remember, you know, you, <laughs> both articles of impeachment are completely separate. Yes. The second article of impeachment, they wanted him gone, which was different than the first article of impeachment. They wanted him gone because he said, I want to protect my constitutional rights and the executive branch rights under the Constitution, so we'll go to the courts. Sorry, we'll overturn a presidential election in a democratic republic. Yeah. We will overturn it because we don't give a damn what the people did. We just want what we want, and we want it now. And, oh, we're the ones that used to call the president fascist. Who truly has the fascist mindset? Exactly. As we always say, tell us where we're wrong. And everybody on the left listening right now, you know you can't. 86690 red eye Tips from J.J. Keller and Associates Incorporated on preventative maintenance. Safety items. As the first line of defense in the preventative maintenance process, your efforts are significant to staying on the road. The most important parts on your truck are the components that keep the truck safe. Some of the components you should pay attention to are the tires. Do they have the required tread on them? The lights. Are they all working? They're critical in making sure you can see and recognize what you're doing. The brakes. Is everything connected properly? Are the hoses not leaking? These are only a few of the vital safety components, but it's important to be sure all of them are working properly. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates Incorporated. Visit us at jjkeller.com. This has been the Meritor Driver Report, brought to you by Pilot Flying J, Shell Rotella, and Meritor Aftermarket. Run with the bull. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. We'll go to your calls and comments following uh, the top of the hour, or the bottom of the hour, 866-90-RED-EYE. This hour brought to you by Freightliner. Run smart, helping you run more efficiently. It's Freightliner's number one goal. Uh, can you, I, I just, I uh, pulled the article back up from the New York Times. Could, do you have it there? Could you, what you just read me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When yeah. you just read uh, me, you just yeah, said, yeah. Come, yeah. oh, here it is. I got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The, the study was small and limited to patients who were mildly or moderately ill, not severe cases like many reports about coronavirus. It was posted on uh, an online server for medical articles before undergoing peer review by other uh, researchers. But the findings su- strongly support earlier studies suggesting a role for the drug, Dr. Schaefer okay. said. All right. So this has not been the, the, the narrative from the left. Now, you know, the malaria drug helps the the virus patients. Right. It's a New York Times story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yes. And this and it's being promoted. This is Denise Grady, who did the story for New York Times. So I don't want to put Denise Grady in this corner, but she works for the New York Times. Let's be Let's be right. clear. And the left media has been over the top. Again, I'm not going to put that on her. But the point is, is that well, at least in this. Why would you not? Why would you not cite the... Now, she kind of alluded to the other studies. But why would you not also say, 
you know, President Trump is hopeful and well, Governor Cuomo is implementing, you know, the, the trials. She didn't even do that. It's disingenuous. The media, if Trump says it, he's lying and it could cost lives. One eight six six ninety Red Eye. We're taking your calls on Red Eye Radio. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. I'm Gary McNamara, along with Eric Harley. This hour for Freightliner Run Smart, helping you run more efficiently <laughs> is Freightliner's number one goal. Uh, drivers want to remind you for uh, any regulatory exemptions that may be out there, and there are a handful of them right now. Um, and by the way, thank you for delivering America's goods not just in our time of need but every day which by the way when are we not in need of the things that we use every day right and trucking is there to deliver it and we greatly appreciate that and recognize that but if you need any clarification i would suggest that you go to the fmcsa's website uh directly um because a lot of things can be misinterpreted um your company's probably already on it in terms of exemptions and what you may or may not be doing Uh, But there is, again, the FMCSA website, fmcsa.dot.dot.gov, fmcsa.dot.dot.gov. And I think right now we're seeing it. It's interesting, Gary, you and I were talking about it. Um, I'm looking at uh, stores just anecdotally that now are limited from, uh, I saw one that went from, it used to be a 24-hour store, and then they they shut down between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., and now they're only open 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. And I thought that's interesting because, you know, the um, uh, the federal government, the, the, the Department of Transportation came out, FMCSA came out, and basically ordered the truck stops. You know, a, it was a directive. Uh, and I think our friends in the truck, truck stop industry were already uh, at that point uh, working hard to make sure they had everything for drivers, food, fuel, and showers. Um, they... They 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 issued that directive for those truck stops to stay open 24 hours to be available. And then I started looking at it. I thought, okay, um, there there are things you can't do. You can't go in and have a dine-in meal, um, but you can get food to go. And maybe some of the fast food locations inside some of those uh, stops uh, may not be operating uh, to full capacity. But again, there is food available, and that's the message. But you know, in our you know, neighborhoods, we go into these even convenience stores are shutting down at night right now. And that's probably due to uh, things not getting to them, but also not exposing their staff 24-7. But uh, rest assured that the truck stops are out there and uh, they are keeping up with demand. And if you have any any questions at all on exemptions, fmcsa.dot.gov. Let's head to you. We go to Ned in Chicago. Ned, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Mm, Ned? You mean Neil? Neil, yes. yes. Neil. Okay. I'm I sorry. I can't find Neil, Ned, but there's Neil. Neil. Yes. Neil, you're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Gary. Eric, good hey. morning. Good morning. I just, I just wanted to float an idea out there, and frankly, I'm not a finance guy, but one way that President Trump could possibly claw back some money to pay for the stimulus would be to tell China, 
you know, all the treasury debt that you owe, which probably amounts to 1.3 or 1.4 trillion, we know the electronic serial numbers of all of that debt. It is now null and void. Just floating the idea out there. And how does that and pay? Would, how does that pay for the stimulus? It would reduce the uh, national debt by the same amount. And I would also reassure the other countries that that hold our debt. We're not voiding yours, just China's. They well, were very good at at hiding no, no, at wait, hiding this whole thing. Uh, well, wait a minute. They're buying our debt, so you have that money that's paying off the debt. So if you take that money out, you're just increasing the debt by that much more that somebody else has to buy, that the Treasury bonds would skyrocket in interest rates because nobody would view you as somebody who pays your debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I know there's there's a downside to it. And again, well, no, it's all just, down, no, 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 but, but no, no. It's a cliff event. No, it would be straight. Down. It's it's not a downside. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's depression time if you did that. Right, because if you cannot if you cannot uh, trust uh, the U.S. if they are not good for their debts, then you can't then you can't trust anyone. This is this is what we went through. In fact, during the the housing after the housing crash, and the the uh, the the recession we went in in 2009 is that there was a lot of you know talk about okay we do this and we forgive that or we don't pay this or we don't pay that you don't want to get into that game now this is also spells out the problem that we're going to get to very quickly when we cannot when when we can no longer service the debt on a, or service the interest on our debt as a nation because you will have other nations the entire world looking at us as a country who is about to be in default in a big, big way, right. and they can't trust us. Why does the world come to the United States and purchase treasury notes, treasury bonds, whatever? Why do they do that? Because they know that the money, if, if we're, we're not putting in, we, we're not going to put it in investments, we're putting it where it's safe. We may not be making a lot of interest, but it's safe. As soon as the United States defaults, it's no longer safe, which means more interest rate would be demanded which means more of the federal budget, a tremendous amount more, would go to pay off just the debt. Yeah. The other part of it is that money that you would say, okay, we would say that China is null and void, and we're just going to take that money and use it for stimulus money, which means you've left a hole in the in the debt that has to be filled by somebody else that you're going to, who's only going to buy that debt if there is a tremendous increase in the interest rate because now – Buying a United buying United States desk debt excuse me debt is a risk. They're buying it now because it's not a risk. You're saying okay. make debt a risk. Okay, understood. Thanks yeah. for the financial okay. heads up. Okay. I appreciate right. it. No problem. Hey, uh, thank you. Thank you. We, and look, we we understand. By the way, I wasn't yelling, George. Just being, sure. being passionate about and, it. And, and also, I mean, it, because we it's we must think uh, in terms of how that process works. Um, we think of it as our own debt and and the idea of being able to you know possibly have debt forgiven or even um in the in the private sector with companies when they go through bankruptcy and have certain debts forgiven uh, which means that you have those creditors or debt you know people that they owe are actually kicked to the curb well as a nation we can't kick other nations to the curb um there are a number of reasons you don't want to do that the first is what we just spelled out um another one would be is that, and it's the reason we give financial aid to countries. We don't do that really, you know, I mean, they, they, of course they need it and use that money, but it really, it is one of those handshakes to kind of keep the peace and 
let and 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 build those relationships and keep those relationships going because we never know when a war could break out, whether it's a war on terror that escalates or it is a war with a sovereign nation or a group of sovereign nations or a region. Um, those relationships over the years certainly have uh, bought some favor. And now when you talk about uh, spending two and a half trillions, you know, deciding to spend two and a half trillion dollars at, at uh, you know, uh, last week and, and look at, at how fast we made that decision to do that and giving money to people right now that don't actually need it. Some people, I'm not t- talking about everybody, but some people, well, when you look at the, the amount of, of um, foreign aid that we give, that's that's a drop in the bucket compared to what we are doing right now in this mindset. And so then you talk about the debt, the foreign debt that's owed. Um, and, that's our, and we're, we're, by the way, that's, that's our fault. That's yes. not China's no, fault. No, no, no. That's no, it's our not. fault. It was available, and they bought the debt. Now, they're, they don't well, own most of our debt, but they own a they own the largest uh, the They own the... They're the the nation, the foreign nation that owns the largest chunk, but they don't own the majority of our debt. Right. And the fact is, the United States wants them to be part of it because that helps keep interest rates down. Exactly. I mean, the more the more that you have, the more people saying, "Okay, let's go to a safe haven. And you allow them to do that. You allow China and foreign nations to come in and and do that. That's a bigger pool, which keeps the interest rates lower. And and as long as we're in the solvent range, and I say range because of what's happening lately uh, as a nation, uh, because this is the other question. Well, what if China just pulls all pulls out and they they sell everything? First of all, they're not incentivized to do that. That would hurt them in a, in a big way. Uh, but let's just say for the sake of the argument, they did that. Well, it's still attractive to invest in the U.S. It's still attractive for the meantime <laughs> right? in order to make other nations to make that kind of investment. Would they do that? Would would one nation do that to the extent China has done it? I, I can't make that statement. I can't make that prediction, but I do think of India. But it would probably take, I don't know, a handful of nations to make up. Uh, that share that they sell well, off. Remember when Trump during the campaign? Yeah. Remember he said, "Well, look, we could uh, w- for our debt. I know how we can get rid of it. We'll give fifty cents on a dollar." Yeah. It's right. like you can't no. do that. No, 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 no. It's no. impossible. No, it's a, no, no. <laughs> because then you, if well, we give fifty cents on a dollar, and so they get something. Well, do you no. know what you know what the interest rate would be on the new debt? Oh my gosh. That would be are we going to balance? We going to balance the budget the next day, right? What would the interest be on the new? Because now you're no longer dependable, right? The reason people come to the United States to buy those bonds and to, is not because they that's the best place where they can make money. It's because it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. It's it's like people right now who are if you're an investor, a, a small investor, is an individual, and you've got you know, you know you bought some stocks. And you probably, you might have called your financial advisor over the last few weeks and said, hey, is it time to move to cash, right? Uh, because that, well, the value of the dollar can change, of course, but it, it is that sure thing. In other words, all right, I've got my cash. I'm going to set it aside in cash, and then it's it's ready to go. It's more It's more liquid, and it's also not going to lose, maybe unless the dollar crashes, uh, as much value. Um, it is a sure thing. This, by the way, this is why um, you have Chinese that are investing in real estate in the U.S. Uh, if if you look at that, the history of why they've done that, they invest in areas like California and New York. And why is that? 
because the properties, for the most part, don't lose value. They're parking money, okay? They're, they're, they have assets. They're parking money. They, get, they invest in the U.S. They know it's a sure thing. Again, as you pointed out, it's not about necessarily making money, but they're not going to lose. 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. We go to Mark in Connecticut. Mark, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Very good. You're on the air. Uh, I just, Yeah, I just wanted to t- talk about, you said that paper was like something that would be a good investment. I don't. I disagree with that because... I, I, I don't know what show you're listening to. We yeah. did, oh, Mark, oh. Mark, we didn't say anything about paper being an, a good investment. Yeah, I, I think you're listening to the wrong show. Yeah, thanks. you're listening to another show. I appreciate the call. Yeah, call the show you're listening to. Yeah, because it seemed like he was trying to say that uh, that because uh, we were talking about money, he was trying to make the maybe we should be it should be all gold and no money. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding of how economic systems work. The value of the dollar comes from the the entire health of an economy the goods and services produced the debt everything right and it's traded on the free market yep. currencies are traded on the free market based on what the free market believes your country is worth yep. based on the economy your economic output uh gold as we've always said before you know look during a good time you can look at it and say okay gold's a commodity that can be used but if all hell breaks loose i want to invest in water yeah uh, we've been talking about this for years because it when the when the uh, was it uh, Steve Forbes that came back with go back to the gold standard? Yeah. All right. And and it was years ago. You and I were together, but it, it came up and it kind of cycled back around. The problem is, is that it was the argument was, well, if all goes to worse. Well, no, if all goes to pot, you're going to need water. Uh, think Book of Eli. Think about the things. Batteries. Know, well, <laughs> a Bible in Braille. And <laughs> oh, well, yeah, what, sanitizing what, what, what? gel. Yeah, exactly. Right now, didn't sanitizing he, gel. Didn't he, no, no, didn't he give the guy sanitizing gel? Oh, did he? Remember, remember, movie? remember when he wanted his batteries charged or wipes? It was bathroom wipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was bathroom wipes. Yeah, but that's still, was. either yes. one right now, right? Hard that's, to find. Right. That's, well, that, that's what's that's what's gold is invaluable right now. Toilet paper is yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, well, it's funny because you've seen the little videos on social media. The guy at the drive-through pulls up to pay for his right. burger and hands over toilet paper. The, no, the the idea is that are you going to be able to? What are you going to use in in the uh, in the apocalyptic sense? Right. If there's a full collapse of the economic system. By the way, if there is in the U.S., it will be global. Well, so it, if there if there is that situation, you're going to need what? You're going to need power. You, you're going to need shelter. You're going to need food. You're going to need, need water. Well, so any of those and, items are going to be the currency. And, and we've heard this for the longest time. The United States should go to the gold standard. It doesn't matter if we went to the gold standard. No other country would recognize it. They're going to recognize it and exchange our currency based on what they do right now, and that's yeah. the free market. What is the right. health of your economy? Right. And they take everything into consideration. Right, exactly. And, and that's because of how when you the the uh, oh the, the currency exchange figures mm-hmm. out, I mean, that's running on the free market. Sure. Your, your currency is valued against other currencies. And well, what's it based on? The health of your economy that takes into consideration the goods and services produced, the debt that you have, everything that goes into the kind of uh, m- uh, market that you have, whether right. it's more free market, right, whether right, it's right. 
socialist, whatever. That's why the ruble in the old Soviet Union was worth nothing. Because, because if, they didn't produce anything. Right. And if we based it on, uh, you think about it, if we had the gold standard here in the U.S., what would other nations do to manipulate that gold? They would hoard it or they would flood the market with it. Right? Right. Um, so that's, again... Uh, it is uh, because the idea is, well, you can't manipulate the value. Absolutely you can. Well, yeah, and you never want to base your never want to base your currency on one commodity. Right. You base it on the average of everything that exists out there. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Pilot Flying J Studios, this is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He's Eric. I'm Gary. We are here in our late 1999 Y2K bunker. Yes, hunkered. Sir, we're hunkered down in our Y2K bunker that we uh, that we saved that we never used. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we're in our regular studio. It's, it's 20 years old. <laughs> it smells like Geraldo Rivera's career. It has no um, Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'm, you're laughing at that. I'm laughing at the world of Rivera. <laughs> I'm laughing at your no okay. Wi-Fi thing. That's, I mean. That's good. Um, the, uh, it, um, I, I think, uh, you know, it's first of all, does anybody ever hunker up? Everybody's hunkered down. You know, be positive. Hunker up. Uh, I was, you know, as we go about our day, I, I had to, uh, I had a dental appointment. And, and I'm at, at this place, you know, major metro area. And we built all of these roadways. And many of them you have to pay for. They're tollways. Um, and the tollways are crowded now. I mean, the tollways, when we're, you know, running at full capacity and everybody's back at work, I mean, at 9 a.m., you can't get from A to B if you're north of the Dallas area trying to get inbound, going going into the Dallas area. I mean, it's just backed up on all the toll roads. It is slow to this morning. Mm-hmm. It was right during that time that it normally would be. And I'm on the I'm on the phone, uh, talking to somebody close to me, and I'm 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 saying, "Wow, man, this is great! You ought to see this. <laughs> it's nine o'clock in the morning, and I would normally be going around I don't know one and a half mile an hour, and I'm flying by. I'm doing seventy. By the way, um, I wish it weren't for this reason, but you know, just thinking about where people are, because when I'm on a congested road and it's nine o'clock in the morning and it's just, it's barely moving. And I'm thinking all these people are late for work. You and I work nights, but you can, okay, let's just say a fourth of them are going to work and we're supposed to be there at 8 a.m. And it's nine 30 thinking they've got to be late every single day. And it's, it's, it's just incredible. But now we're all at home. Here's my question. You and I were talking about the, the businesses who, what was this, a couple of months ago when they were uh, doing this reevaluation of, okay, what we pay per square foot in terms of having an, an employee yes. occupy the space uh-huh. 
mm-hmm. of our real estate that we own or rent, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is that costing us? And is it more efficient to have them telecommute uh, to work from home? All right. So they're definitely reevaluating that right now. You can bet a lot of companies are looking at this going, okay, what is it? What are expenses that we can cut? And are some employees in some roles, are they more efficient or can they prove to be? And sometimes it's about the individual employee, but are they more efficient at home? But now from the other side of it, will there be a greater demand? Because at one point we're going to get back to a, a great demand for the worker, for, for, for people to be uh, working for us, which is where we were. That's why raises uh, or, or the, the wages were rising and we were seeing that because there's a demand in the workforce. Will will we have a greater call as employees on the collective to to work from home, to be uh, home based? And and I suspect that we will. Well, and we asked that question, and I don't know how we got in. We weren't asking the question. We were sort of making the statements about where is you know where is business going? How would you how will you make it more efficient? Right. And we started talking about square footage and, as you just mentioned, and how much it's costing a company to either rent to have everybody in in the office and how far we will go as a society for telecommuting right. versus the management belief that is solidly entrenched in management mm-hmm. that we need to see our people every single day even though we can monitor them electronically, right. we believe, and we've asked this question, is it because that <laughs> you don't need as many middle managers <laughs> if everybody doesn't have to come into work well, every day? Right. Is that the, Are they only trying to protect their own position? Or can you run a business successfully? And this is what I was thinking the other day. Mm. Can you run a business more successfully if the majority of time people can work at home and if you're a small business, for example, and you've got a sales force and everything else, you can still meet. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was uh, a leasing manager for one of the business centers out there. Right, yeah. And I had an old girlfriend. Yeah, I did. She wasn't old. She was just an old girlfriend. Uh, and she was... Former uh, girlfriend, I think is how you... Okay, a former girlfriend, yes. Uh, Unless she's 95. <laughs> well, she was a cougar. Uh, but... <laughs> Hey, at my age, a cougar would be 95. Uh, so, but, but she was a private detective, and she had her own office and said, too expensive. Right. And so she did the, the whole, you know, the whole business, uh, what do they call those now, the, the, um, uh, where, where you can, uh, it's, it's sort of as if you're, um, oh, you, you're kind of leasing space when you need it. Leasing space when you need yeah, it, yeah, and you've yeah. got you've got it, somebody who will answer your calls. Yeah, the, so they're, 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 it's like le- a business center. Business center, yes, yeah, a, it's, a business it's, center. It's a, it's a business center and, where you get a, a board, you have to book it ahead of time, but you get access right. to the boardroom and right. an office if you need so it. So you can sit there and say, okay, here's where we're located. And so once, once a month, we'll have a meeting, and you run out the boardroom. Right. But your actual space, and I don't know what the savings would be. I can't tell you what would what it would be, but if you could cut if you could just cut it thirty percent, yeah, that's a huge amount that you can invest and use for other things in a very very competitive marketplace, and you can still with the business software that exists today, 
and the reporting requirements that we, you would have on your employees each and every day, you could know and monitor what they do. Yeah. And and will this, what we're going through right now, will this be what gives the push to a significant number of businesses to say, we don't need as much real estate. So maybe you don't use the business centers. Maybe you still have some real estate, but you cut it in half. Yeah. Or you cut right. it you cut it in three quarters. Exactly. And you have the you've got the conference room and people can still come in and a couple of people may be there, but you're not using it like you use it right now. And then what will that do to office space across okay. the country also? So would that go into depression well, if you had that push to do that? I was just a few weeks. Well, actually, it was probably a month, month and a half ago before the whole COVID thing, talking to a friend about how there is some overdevelopment in real estate in North Texas where we are. Okay. So I'm going to focus right now on a very small area. And it's up there. And there's uh, it's, it's where Toyota North America relocated to uh, a couple of years ago. And they built a campus. It's a handful of buildings. It's five or six huge office buildings that belong to them on their own campus. You've been by it. It looks like its own city. Mm-hmm. And it's off of Legacy and, and what they call uh, another street called Headquarters Way or Headquarters Boulevard, I think. Headquarters Way, I, I think is what it is. Anyway, there's a bunch of headquarters up there. Frito-Lay's up there. There's a, there's a number of uh, large corporations and headquarters up there. And I, and I remember being with a friend... That, and we were right across the street from that campus. And there was this huge, beautiful building, office building. And it said, plenty of offices for lease now. Call this number. And the question came to me, well, gosh, why are, why are they leasing? That looks like a great building. I said, well, because Toyota wanted to come up and, you know, buy some land and build their own buildings. And a lot of companies went that direction. In good times, they were like, let's own our own real estate that gives us assets. And that, that you know, of course, creates value in the company. Those values aren't going to be t- depleted unless you get to uh, a Great Depression again. Um, but for the most part, those values are going to hold. So those are strong assets. But I think about that. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about Toyota doing this specifically. But, for example, what if they wanted to do that? As you mentioned, not the entire workforce. But do they need all five or six buildings that they built up there? Those are considerations. Then you get into the, okay, now we've got uh, all this overdevelopment where there's all this real estate. If you go into downtown Dallas right now, everything is building up. Our friends in New York City, please pardon us while we have this little discussion. I know you're saying, oh, that's cute. But <laughs> we, we, we don't by build, comparison, we, we don't build up as much as you. No, we build out. No, look, we have no place to put our cattle and tumbleweeds and oil fields here in, in North Texas. <laughs> everybody, everybody thinks you naturally have them. Um, but but um, yeah, it's all been, been about land and open land here in North Texas. And when you go north, there's still some open land. But it's be, I mean, every day it's being developed over and over again. Uh, new buildings and real estate is going up, whether it's commercial real estate or residential. But you you probably could get to the point and make the case for at least a while that there could be an overdevelopment if we see this move in that direction where there's more telecommuting. If you look at the technology that, that's been implemented, you and I are working with it um, right now to set up a, a situation that if we have to be at home, you and I can broadcast from home. And that technology was much more difficult uh, just 10, 20 years ago and much more expensive to do. Um, anybody who's telecommuting right now, uh, I have friends and family working in the financial sector. 
um, or in the financial offices of of corporations. And for them, it's easy to telecommute. And if you can do that with a number of people in your workforce, you don't need so much office space. And I I tend to believe on the other side of this, there's going to be a reevaluation on both sides from the the employer side and the employee side of what makes more sense. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Good morning. Welcome. All right, a couple of things here. First off, this story, U.S. sales of alcoholic beverages rose 55% in the week ending March 21st. According to market research from Nielsen, spirits like tequila, gin, premixed cocktails led the way with sales jumping 75% compared to the same period last year. Wow. Wine sales were up 66%, while beer sales rose 42%, and online sales far outpaced in-store sales. Nielsen said online alcoholic sales were up how much? Online. Online alcoholic sales? Yes. I'm going to say 82%. 243 Holy cow, I thought I overshot that. Holy vodka. Okay, so it you know in at least I think in our state, uh, the governor signed a law actually last year that allows that changed something about alcohol delivery to your home. But I I think it was just beer and wine. I think, but um, the point being is that in some areas, like uh, I live in a an area that is that doesn't sell hard alcohol, it doesn't sell spirits, mm-hmm. just. Beer and wine. And we just got that uh, four or five years ago. And we got liquor stores here in the last six months, finally, uh, in the town that I live in. It's like full we, liquor store. Uh, uh, full liquor store. Beyond yeah. beer and wine. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I didn't even know that they had the vote last year. I didn't. Right. I don't know how I didn't know about that because mm-hmm. I vote in all the local elections. And I went, how did I miss that one? Right. Or I thought I voted in all elections. All of a sudden, I see a liquor store going up. I went, when did this happen? I went, oh, they had the vote six months ago. I went, I don't remember that. Right. Maybe I was on vacation. I don't know. But I vote mm-hmm. in almost, I try to vote in every election that I know about, local or yeah, state yeah, or yeah. national, sure. whatever. So sure. it really surprised me. But they had the vote, and uh, it went uh, it went, uh, it went, went through. So, yeah, uh, right. uh, hmm. but, uh, oh, yeah, here's where I was going on this. So, so there you go. There's Nielsen, and they're saying that the, the real indicator of, is what it did last week. And they don't know the numbers aren't in yet. But then I go to this one. I see this headline. Mm-hmm. Texans rank highest in drinking during the coronavirus outbreak. We're number one, man. Twitter data shows. I'm like, mm-hmm. Twitter data? How does it, How does the mm-hmm. data from Texas ranks the highest, uh, as, uh, the highest drinking state? Uh-huh. According to data from Twitter, the mm-hmm. map below is based on yeah. geotagged Twitter data in the last mm-hmm. month tracking tweets yeah. about drinking alcohol during the coronavirus outbreak. Mm-hmm. This includes tweets about drinking wine, beer, whiskey, mm-hmm. in addition to phrases and has- hashtags about getting drunk. Yep. Over 200,000 tweets were tracked. I know, man. All right, so it's not actually alcohol consumption. It's how much you brag about drinking. Right? 
Yeah. Because they're not looking at, okay, what was the consumption per capita? But do you brag about drinking when you're sober? That would that Probably would, not. No. Actually, but, you and I joke about it, uh, you know, right. and, and of course, we're, we don't. That's because we're sober. Yeah, we're, bragging I mean. about, we're bragging about it while we're sober. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it all really comes down to the sales. Right. So Texas number, but according to this survey, who's talking about it the most? Who's talking about drinking more? Texans are talking about getting drunk more than any other state. Boy, I tell you what. California second, <laughs> New Mexico third, Hawaii fourth, Arizona fifth, Nevada sixth, Louisiana seventh, Mississippi eighth, yep. Idaho ninth, Georgia tenth. Yep. Now, wait a minute. Oh, I know why. What? Hey, wait a minute. I figured New York should be in there. With so many of the areas of New York where the bars are open till 4 o'clock and you've closed them all. Right, yeah. Then you would go to the store, right? You would think so, yeah. 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 And I saw more from (laughs) the region where I come from. I grew up in Buffalo, and bars always have been open till four a.m. Okay, four. But here's here's four. Okay, but here's the question though, because I I don't know. I've never been to New York. I have friends there. I have a niece there uh, that lives there. She and her husband. But I've never asked this question. Now we know what happened on Law and Order. We know in every movie when there was a when there is a a judge uh, or in Law and Order when Adam Schiff. Not the Adam Schiff that we know today, uh, but the character Adam Schiff, the district attorney, after a case, you know, late at night, he would go back in the in his chambers or was it chambers? His office. And he's not a judge. He went back into his uh, his office and he would pour uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the whatever it was, bourbon or pour drink, scotch, right? whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was hard liquor. Yeah. So they kept a bar. Basically, the D.A. kept a bar in his office. Yeah. Oh, Jack uh, Jack never pulled out a wine right. cooler. And so so in terms of New York being on the list, are most people already? I mean, is it a cultural thing for most people to kind of already have a bar set up or have plenty of liquor, you know, in in their home already? I don't know. <laughs> of course, you haven't I, lived there for how well, long? I, well, are, are you implying that I've been in every house in New York well, drunk? Well, well by the way, <laughs> it's funny because as I was asking you that, I don't know that about Texas. I'm not sure if it, it could be. I, 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 will, I will say this. My buddy Jeff that I've talked about before, his yeah. grandfather owned a bar. And yeah. when his grandfather retired, he had a bar in his basement. Okay. We used to go over to his grandfather's basement. Yeah. And he said, come on over. You know, We need to go to my grandfather's bar. And I went, what's a basement bar? He said, no, you don't understand. We... This is him working. Yeah. It's, and I said, like, well, isn't that illegal? And he goes, no, it's just me and you. <laughs> <laughs> and we go over there, and his grandfather would sit behind the bar like he used to with the bar that he owned. And wow. He would make us a couple of beers, whatever, and, and uh, sit and talk. And, I love it. And had the television on in the corner. Oh, my gosh. That's and great. It, it, was, it was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. It really was. That is, when, that when is it, really great. When it comes to drinking. <laughs> right, exactly. No, that's great. I love that story. It was great. Here's your forecast. A low-pressure area out of Canada will provide some April snow showers for areas east of the Rockies. Montana, Wyoming, and as far south as Denver, Colorado will pick up some snowfall from the system. Thursday night into Friday for the Mile High City, a low of 16. And for the next 24 hours or so, you could expect the potential for icing along portions of I-94 in North Dakota and I-90 from Sioux Falls over to Pierre, South Dakota.
Out ahead of that system, to the east, rain develops along areas of I-35 in Iowa and Wisconsin. And by Friday, the slow-moving system could produce some showers in the southern plains. Wednesday, rain showers in the mid-Atlantic have cleared out but are still lingering in the northeast and will remain throughout the day there until Friday. High pressure means plenty of sunshine for the Midwest and Deep South today. There's a look at your national forecast from Red Eye Radio. I'm meteorologist John Trout. Your forecast is brought to you by the TruckSmart mobile app from Travel Centers of America. Download TruckSmart today to get what you need when you need it. from a secure containment zone, Gary McNamara and Eric Harley on Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Harley. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Okay, John Solomon wrote a column about James Comey, and uh, you know we talked about how the inspector general looked at 29 different warrants, yeah. secret warrants that were done. Every single one was flawed. Mm. Every single one. And he wrote uh, this uh, uh, column, The Epidemic of Noncompliance, James Comey Left Behind, Still Ails the FBI. And he writes here, The record of FISA compliance under Comey and current FBI director Chris Ray's leadership is so deficient that it undermines the FBI's ability to achieve its accurate standard for FISA applications, end of quote, Horowitz warned in an extraordinary memo made public on Tuesday. Mm. The FBI's former chief of intelligence, Kevin Brock, who served under prior director Robert Mueller, said the new IG findings add to the body of evidence that Comey's tenure at FBI was infected with the record of noncompliance. And I'm reading this because he uses the exact same words that you and I, Eric, have used here. I'll get to it in a moment. Mm. The memo's findings are reflective of a careless and negligent culture that was allowed to grow under Comey's leadership. He We've said, been talking about this for years. Yep. He said the FBI agents who pursued the erroneous FISA warrant against Trump advisor Carter Page were able to take advantage of a system that was already broken. Yeah. When the IG discovers a pattern of FISA affidavits in national security cases where the allegations are not cooperated or substantiated, then it starts to explain why Comey's team thought that they could obtain a FISA warrant on page without any real facts because nobody was checking, end of Mm, quote. Yeah. Mm. The last year has produced a long line of Inspector General findings that have undercut Comey's carefully manicured claims that his FBI lived by the rule of law on his watch from June of 2013 to May of 2017, Comey had claimed the FBI's conduct in the Russia collusion case was above reproach. But in December, Horowitz disclosed that the FISA warrant that Comey himself approved to start spying on the Trump campaign was riddled with errors, uncooperated information and other misconduct. And the FISA court officially declared that it had been misled. 
And it's important to bring this out. And by the way, Republicans should be pounding on this because I know right now that because of coronavirus, we're in an extremely serious situation, uh, both medically for people's health and for the economy. But we cannot forget the abuses and we cannot forget what the opposition and what the Democrats have done and members of the Obama administration have done over the years that is completely and totally reckless, creating a culture of not following the rules. And something that I thought I had always hoped that when it came to secret warrants, understanding how important secret warrants are when it comes to what? Because why do they really exist? They exist because of terrorism. To see the noncompliance, the culture, the rot Mm. inside the FBI, and as Horowitz pointed out, eight different areas, eight different field offices they looked at. It was across the board. It was a culture of rot Mm. and not obeying the rules and regulations when it came to secret warrants. Secret warrants. Think about this, folks. The left used to care about warrants. Mm-hmm. They used to care about justification of, of wars. Course, yeah. Law and order made a big deal over it over the last 35 years. Sure. And here you have the FBI, not just in the Carter Page case, but in so many different cases that just said to hell with the rules and regulations. And this comes when we're talking about secret warrants where the safeguards were supposed to be there. And then the integrity was supposed to be beyond reproach. And there you had Comey, smug Comey up there, talking, lying to the American public. Because as far as I'm concerned, he lied. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. The 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 precautions that we take are just unbelievable. And believe me, when, when a FISA warrant is issued, we know about these things. It's extremely it, rare. It's extremely, extremely rare. So rare that, yes, all the protocol is, is followed. He was lying. He was lying. Okay, remember, I, I have to throw this in, too, because uh, when, when, you, when we were just discussing that, it's extremely rare. The number of FISA warrants that were issued in 2017 was down dramatically from 2016. Does that culture exist? We asked this question yesterday inside the FISA courts itself, not just in the Justice Department. Because what we said was, uh, and it doesn't matter if you go back to the whole Lois Lerner thing and and, um, remember it was the rogue agents in Cleveland that were making decisions about whether or not, uh, you know, uh, they uh, certain groups uh, were going to get a a, uh, a nonprofit exemption or whatever it was. And we were told by the administration, the Obama administration, it was a couple of rogue agents that made that those decisions. And we, we said, well, wait a minute. We're not trying to make the claim that it was a direct order from the top down. But at the very least, we do know that there is a, a tone, a culture that is in place again doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory. We're not talking about people being on the phone necessarily, being on the phone with each other every morning, uh, planning or plotting. We're talking about a culture which is worse because when you have that culture and it thrives, then it is across the board. It it goes across the entire spectrum of uh, the intelligence community, uh, in this case the FBI, under uh, James Comey, and not just the tone that was set by that administration, but also by the very leadership of the FBI, which was at that time Director James Comey. But then you look at 
uh, a number of things again, and we question, okay, what about in the FISA courts? It could be a lazy rubber stamping thing, but I have to ask the question. Is that culture alive? Look, we, we just look at the number of judges out there uh, on federal judges that clearly are, are, you know, believe one way versus the other way. I mean, forget about it being Trump. Right. It's it's a culture and it doesn't matter. Trump's the enemy at the moment. Remember, he's Hitler now. Someone else, another Republican will be Hitler later. As Bill Maher pointed out, the other guys were Hitler then, but this guy's really Hitler. Well, it's the current guy is really Hitler. And the point being is that they all have an agenda at some point. And how dangerous does that make the entire system or, or the process of the FISA courts? You and I, you, you mentioned it yesterday and you said it uh, a while back that if we're at this point, even though we support the idea of FISA courts and it's tragic that we have to say that, uh, that or say this, we have to suspend that program until we can have well, greater assurance that there isn't that kind of culture or environment to breed that kind of culture. Well, where where is the safeguards? Because when you see, when you read this, and we had brought this to you yesterday in another article, but John Solomon writes this. Fifteen months later, the Justice Department's inspector general blew a hole in Comey's representation mm. that, you know, that, uh, that uh, uh, as he said before, that it's extremely labor-intensive, the... The compliance and the top-tier program that protects American civil liberties by ensuring evidence is very carefully scrubbed. That's what Comey told House members Mm -hmm. in a closed-door deposition back in 2018. He was full of Mm you-know-what. And they write, 15 months later, the Justice Department's inspector general blew a hole in Comey's representation. His review of warrant applications in more than two dozen FISA cases, I believe it was 29 different cases, over the last five years found that every single one of them failed to meet the requirements of the Woods procedures which mandate the compilation of documentary evidence in support of each fact in a warrant application. That you just didn't state the fact, you backed it up. Yes. Well, you look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. Isn't it the judges that are supposed to be asking the questions? Exactly. Which got to the point of what we asked a long time ago. Are they just rubber stamping it? Well, because it's not necessarily about uh, making a court decision on, you know, whether uh, it's, uh, you know, this person is guilty or not. We're talking about the warrant process. Yes. Okay. We're talking about just being able to to have enough simply to pursue something, not even to, uh, uh, to we're not talking about uh, prosecutorial uh, movement here or actions here. We're talking about. Just saying, okay, there's enough here to go, you know, beyond and and look into where uh, this person or set of persons without violating their rights because this is what the process is about. But if it's lazy rubber stamping or a culture or a combination of both, then it's dangerous. I've never served one minute in the legal profession. Not one minute. Mm-hmm. I've never been a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I've never been a judge. But I can tell you one thing, that if I'm in charge of secret warrants, I'm not a judge and I understand the seriousness of it. Yeah. And yeah. I understand as a judge the seriousness of the fact that when we do something that in any other area of, of criminal activity is viewed as unconstitutional, that I'm going to make damn sure as a judge that I don't trust any 
law enforcement person who comes before me. I only trust the evidence that you have to back up the allegations that you're making in order for me to sign that secret warrant. Because that secret warrant is on my butt. Yes. Yes. My name's on that secret warrant. Right. And so if you come before me and you don't have all the I's dotted uh, and T's crossed, I'm going to be asking questions. And then it gets to the point. And again, from somebody who has never served in the legal profession at all, and I bet you every lawyer or judge listening right now knows that what I'm saying is right because you don't need to be a legal scholar to understand this. It's about being thorough in the process. And it is about making sure that the process works. So then you get to the point of... The FBI coming to you and saying, we wish to be able to get a secret warrant to do surveillance on the opposition campaign for president of the United States. Wow. So, look, look, the FBI, the the, the FBI, Comey is a complete BSer. We all know it. We all know it now. This whole thing of was a higher loyalty. Yeah. Well, to what? Yeah. I mean, now everybody realize you, you buy the book, you realize that you bought a load of manure. You understand that? You understand who this guy actually is? So, yes, we should criticize him and we should criticize everybody that was involved in that Warren process for not doing their 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 jobs. And I believe they should be disciplined for that somehow. Right. However seriousness it is, whatever. But people in law enforcement should not be able to get away with that, especially when it becomes a culture. It's not a mistake. Not when it's every single warrant that you say, I want to look at all these warrants here. And every single one is found to be completely deficient when it comes to documenting the allegations you're making to get that warrant. But then it gets all the way up to the judges. And you have to ask the question, was it just the FBI and the Department of Justice? Or do you have to look at every single judge? And when we know that federal judge judges will make rulings not based on law, yes. but based on their own political prejudice, yep. it's time to look at the judges. And so we just can't look at the FBI and say, okay, it's time to get rid of the process. If you're going to get rid of the process, understand that the judges cannot, we cannot let them sit on, you know, on their, you know, their, their high, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their high pulpit, their bu- their bench, their 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 high bench, <laughs> and not question whether they did their damn jobs or not because right. something, as we know, this all stinks. Yes, if you're uh, if you're a Democrat, you know that what I'm saying and what Eric has said th- is total substance to it. It all stinks. This rot has to go because they might have gone after Trump and somebody you don't like this time, but if it's allowed, they go after you next time. If a Peter Strzok. If a James Comey, if a McCabe can make it to where they made it in the FBI, then you know damn well that judges, in, in terms of, because this is the idea. Think about what Strzok in the tweet said. We've got the insurance policy. that We won't let this, essentially won't let this guy get elected. You know there are some judges out there that felt the same way, and they felt it was their duty to be activists in that role. I'm not accusing anyone specifically, but you know they exist. 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio.
It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. I think it's just important to not let the judges off the hook here because when you see so much rot, this was – they were trying to make it well. I mean, this was just something with, uh, you know, Carter Page. It might have been done. First off, it was completely and totally legit with Carter Page until it wasn't. Right. And then, well, no, it's extremely rare. This must have just been the exception to the rule. Now we know it's not the exception to the rule – and so you've got to look at this and say, it's not just the FBI and the Department of Justice. It's also got to be the judges. The judges aren't doing their job. Right. You're telling me they just throw in allegations and don't have, haven't followed the Woods procedures to show you that, look, this backs up this allegation and this is how we know why. And you're accepting that and allowing a secret warrant. Right. Somebody's got to find out what the judges were doing. Why weren't they asking more questions? Yep. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One.